What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk about Kevin Holland's decision to return to the Octagon so quickly, some lessons we're learning in the Ben Askren-Jake Paul buildup, and much more. But first, I want to start with this. All right, two pieces of news, and these are from the dirt sheets. I don't, I don't go to the greatest sources, but one report front page. UFC moving on from Engano versus Jones. On the other side, I go to front page. Francis Engano turns down rematch with Derek Lewis. Okay. So let's just take from the perspective that both of these are right. Okay. Admitting that my sources aren't, aren't great, but generally in the sport where there's smoke, there's fire to some degree. So, so let's operate off of this perception. Where should we begin? Because Francis versus John is very complex. I know when you look at it, you go, Chael, there's nothing sophisticated about this. That's the fight. Make the fight. We were told John Jones fights the winner of Francis versus Stipe. We've got our winner. You make the fight. I hear what you're saying, but at the time that that premise started, that John will feed into the winner, was operating with the information that you had at that time, which is John wanted to take on the winner. When it gets revealed that John wants a, a big carrot dangled in front of him and can be talked into taking on the way, it changed. It, everything changed. You go, ah, because that gets complex, right? If you were to bring John in, by example, but if you were to bring John in against Francis, you got a huge fight. No way around that. But if you give John a new contract and you realize absent of the match with Francis, there is no big business. There is no mega fight or two or three or four for John. You're now stuck with what you did to get the Francis fight. And say John won. I mean, do you see the problem? John versus Derek Lewis, good fight. John versus Stipe, good fight. John Curtis Blades, good fight. None of those are mega fights. Enough that you want to lock yourself into a contract that you have to honor for matches potentially happen down the road. It's just very problematic. Or at least potentially so. Then you look at Francis, and Francis is in such a sweet spot. Francis needs nobody right now. Any way you want to do Francis, it works. I mean, you just start pulling it. You want to see a new young guy get his shot? Great. You want to see John? Great. You want to see Derek rematch? Makes the most sense. You want to see Stipe as soon as he finally speaks up and says, he right, there's no way to go wrong with Francis. Stephen A. Smith went as far as to say that Francis Ngannou becoming the heavyweight champion is the single greatest thing to ever happen to the UFC. Stephen A. is not totally wrong. I mean, there is a lot of things there that make him very correct. So if you're trying to bring John, and that's just for one night, no matter what happens, you have one good night. John wins, John loses. Doesn't matter. You have one good night. You've got to really look at that. Okay, great. UFC moved on. They're not going to play those games. This is about who wants it. It's competition. Who wants it? You want to talk about what sells? What sells is people understanding this is your dream and it's what you want. Okay. So you got to put those two things together. Now, if the other dirt sheet is correct and they defaulted down to Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis said, or uh, Derek says, I'm in and Francis says, I'm not interested in Derek. You're sitting here going, wait, what just happened? I had no idea ever we'd be in this spot with Francis, with our new champion. And if you ever do that, by the way, and Francis may have well done it, and I just don't have this information. But if you ever say no to the UFC, I would encourage you 
to then make a suggestion. Make sure you understand this, fellow fighters. Before your phone ever rings and you're hearing, hey, do you want to compete with so-and-so, before that ever happens, I think in some fighters' minds and possibly in the fans' minds, so let's just clear this up. That's just a thought and we're workshopping and we're beginning ideas. No, before your phone ever rings, before they ever settle in, all right, this is what we're going to do for a main event for the championship, branding and marketing and everything. Before we get behind this, there are meetings and there are teams, there are presentations made. There could be a scenario where Dana would turn to a marketing team about a specific date in a specific venue and say, what would the plan be if? And if the marketing team doesn't provide an interesting or compelling enough plan, they will have to move on. And I only bring that to you because there's a lot of things that already happened before you got that call. So when you say no, there is large amounts of work and effort and planning that just got set on fire. So your no could really bother somebody because you're showing a lack of respect to the preparation that went into that call that now has to be started over, of which you could cure if you offered a suggestion. I wasn't thinking, Derek, you know what? I'm really taking a look at, boom, throw the name in. That's going to help you every time. In Francis's situation, it could solve the problem. It could be more than helpful. It could be problem solving because Francis is in such a unique spot. Francis cannot go wrong right now. On a bad, on a bad idea, bad idea, the, the floor right now for Francis is good. You could then have great, you could have unbelievable, you could, you could only go up from there. Francis versus anyone right now just works. There's no other athlete you could say that about in all of sports. It's not even true for Tyson Fury. Tyson has to have the right opponent. It's not true about Anthony Joshua. It's not true about Ruiz. I mean, just by example. It's going to take a lot of ingredients in those formulas, except for Francis. Francis could take on a broken vacuum right now, and people will stop what they're doing. I'll give you another thought on Francis, by the way. I had a piece of advice for Francis two weeks ago, which is remain mysterious. One of the great things that Francis had on his side is we don't know him. He's mysterious. He wasn't doing a lot of interviews. We don't know if he's a funny sense of humor guy or if he's a cold, boring guy, if he's exciting nightlife guy, if he's... We don't know, and I thought that that was better. Now, even use the comparison of Brock Lesnar. The reason Brock doesn't do interviews, the reason he has Paul Heyman speaking for him is Vince McMahon believes monsters don't talk. And Brock was able to remain so mysterious, and, and fortunately, usually speculation can really hurt a person. But in Brock's case, people speculated to these things of grandeur that you couldn't even create. You couldn't organically create. So stop right there. And I thought Francis had the same thing until I've seen some of Francis's interviews lately. In fact, I saw a 40-minute piece Francis did with Ariel. I take it all back. Stay out there. Turns out Francis is a really interesting guy. Turns out he's a very calm guy. Turns out he's a fairly curious guy. Not to the extent of, say, Henry Cejudo, but Francis is a fairly curious guy. He's got a great personality. That's what I'm getting at. And that's the risk. The risk is he comes off wrong when the allure is already so right. No, Francis is coming off very well. He, more interviews. He's very good at them. He has a level of charisma. And when the biggest, baddest dude in the room acts like he's the biggest, baddest dude in the room, it, he's a dick. Francis doesn't do that. 
It's one of the things that Cormier had on his side so favorably. Cormier still has it from an announcing position. Daniel Cormier, who is the biggest, baddest dude in the room, comes across so genuinely playful. You see the fan. You're reminded of that little kid where Daniel started before he became the champ champ. And it comes across, and it's endearing. And I'm starting to see some of those things from Francis. right? I mean, believe it or not, when you have this big, huge, scary monster who, by the way, is now universally recognized as the baddest man on the planet, but you have a fun and lighthearted side that's very hard to turn away from. And I think that that's what we're starting to see with Francis. I started to gather those things just from the 40 minutes I saw with him and Ariel. But I will go on record saying, I take it back. My advice was, I, I take it back. I take it back. Francis Moore. More Francis, better Francis. Star Francis is going to be a bigger star, Francis. So staying with John Jones, who the heck is he going to fight anyway? If he's not going to fight Francis, who is John Jones going to fight? And you know what? I'm not ready to answer that because you want to know who I think he's going to fight? I think he's going to fight Francis. Or at least for the championship. It's just not going to be next for Francis. Francis is going to go possibly with Derek Lewis, I think, is where the wind is blowing. You've got Stipe. You have uh, some very good options here. I'm not sure that John isn't just going to wait. There's a number, uh, number of scenarios. Say Derek Lewis beats Francis. Maybe they just want to see the trilogy. John gets bumped again. Say Derek becomes the champion. Derek draws into John. John starts to think better of this and go, you know what? This is what I do. This is what I do for a living. I need to go out there and earn a living. I just think that possibly John's mindset is going to change. I think some of that competitiveness that made John so good in the first place is ultimately going to win the day. But I also think that that's very important, not only for John's well-being, but for the sport as a whole. And John is not a leader in the sport. He is not a guy where the locker room looks and goes, let me go do what John's doing. However, he is in a leadership position of the sport just because of his success. And that's not the way John wants to lead. John wants to leave this sport better than he found it. And the way he found it was with true competitors. And I think that John needs to find that in himself somewhere. And I know that it's still there. I know this competitor that, that, that has packed up and left town is still there. I mean, him going to heavyweight and then setting out a list of things that he actually wrote down that he himself believed he needed to do, and they were going to require some real lifestyle changes and some real discipline. I mean, to put size on, guys, I'm telling you, it's a very hard thing to do. It is very, very hard, and John did it. So John had a level of discipline that was predicated on the idea of motivation, that was predicated on the idea of competition. So John still got this competitor in him. He just got to refine this guy. Somebody got to him, somebody got in his ear and just kind of programmed him the wrong way. That I've got to be bribed to go out and compete. Well, it, that competitor's still in him. That competitor that took him so far, it's still in there. I can see it. I know it's there. I know it's there because I know how hard it is to gain weight. I know how hard it is to get those workouts on after you've changed your physiology. I know how hard it is to land kicks standing on one foot when now your balance and timing are off because you're now not the same size as you were when you learned how to do those kicks. I'm just sharing with you. It's not all terrible for John. That competitor is still within him. That competitor is still competing. That competitor is still setting goals and reaching them. John had goals to be able to deadlift X amount of weight. Well, he got it. He had goals to be able to squat X amount of weight. He got them. 
He's still following the rules and the principles of the sport that got him here. That are all competitive base. Not the same competitor. There was a day John would walk over glass just for an opportunity. Those are the guys that become champions. That is how John became a champion, by example. So that guy has left town, but he can come back. He can still come back. And I do believe that John's next fight will be for a championship. I do believe that. I don't believe it's going to be with Blahovich. I don't believe John's going to go back down to 205. I think he made a very clear decision, saw what happened down there. Because of his own success, he just lost interest. And even had some real veteran names at one point. Who, though the veterans really couldn't compete very well with John, there was still an allure. Well, can they? Can the old guard? I mean, that story's never going to get tired of being told, and John lived through that. But again, he cleaned house, right? He cleaned, I don't think he's going back to 205. I think he's staying at heavyweight. And I don't think that John at some point is going to go, okay, I'm going to do this for less against uh, in a lesser placement on the card. I don't think that's going to happen. I think John's a main event guy. I think John is a championship contender guy. I think he got a little spooked by Francis. Maybe John just sees a little bit more of Francis. right? Maybe if he sees a little bit more, one more fight of Francis against somebody. Let's say Derek Lewis, which looks likely. John's smart. John's going to start to see things, and he's going to start to figure things out. And whatever predications he's had, whatever, whatever fear he's got about putting it on the line in there, I will predict for you is going to lessen. Surprisingly, but I predict for you it's going to lessen. Because John is very, he's very tactical guy. He can see things that other people don't see. He never gets credit for that. He doesn't get credit for it because he, he doesn't speak and relate it in, in a good way. By in a good way, I mean, he, he doesn't always sound like the most intelligent guy in the room. But if you want to talk about IQ, John knows exactly what he's looking at. And he also knows who he is. By example, he knows techniques that he can do because of his length, because of his frame. John's a very smart fighter, man. He's very tactical. I, I really do think, yeah, maybe he needs to see another Francis. Maybe he needs to see him a time or two. But John's going to find things. He's going to find things. And he's going to start to build a confidence. And he's going to realize, I want to get my due. I don't want to be walking around this planet with a skill that I worked hard to have and that I think I do possess and not get recognized for. No athlete wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. They want, they're greedy. They're selfish. They want to have what it is they have. I mean, you'll remember, talk about competition. Because I keep hearing this, that, that John isn't a competitor anymore. John doesn't have any competition left with inside him. I don't, I don't see it that way. I really don't. And I realize he's not the same competitor. I'm just sharing for you, it can come back. Something happened with, of, of the whole pie. It's only a sliver, the sliver left. We, okay, we got the majority of it there, but I'll offer you another example, speaking of John and his competitors, and as to why I've come to this conclusion. If you even look at the debate that he got in, which was nothing more than a debate, but he refused to back down against Khabib Nurmagomedov and the media. John took on Khabib and the media because he felt something was his, and he wanted the right to have it, which was his name on a pound-for-pound -pound list somewhere on a .com, and I don't say this to be fun. I don't know where. I don't even know where this exists, but it does, and it meant something to John. That's because he's a competitor. He's a competitor. You guys that think John, John doesn't want to compete anymore, and John's afraid of Francis. John has every right to be afraid of Francis. John has been afraid of a lot of guys. So what? 
You guys often misuse the word afraid. That's a school term. Gives a goddamn if a guy's afraid. I mean, just by exa- John. John doesn't care if he's scared. That seems to be a message in fight. Well, you're scared. Uh, okay. Next. I mean, I don't know what that means. You're scared. Uh, great. Where's my mouthpiece? Like, that's the way a fighter would work. He doesn't care. Does that mean that he's absent of fear? No, of course not. He's a human being. Sure. Sure, he could be scared, but you're thinking he's scared of Francis, so he doesn't want to go with Francis. No, but there's a competitor. And that competitor either believes in his training or he doesn't. That competitor even believes that, yes, I've checked the boxes and getting up to 240 pounds and putting on this strength is enough for heavyweight as I thought it was going to be, or he doesn't. Those are personal decisions. And quite frankly, John doesn't owe it to you to tell you how he's internalizing some of these things. He owes it to himself to continue to set goals continue to try to achieve them in the belief that they will get him closer to a championship. And at some point, he's got to go out and be ready. And you'll see this in all walks of life, guys. There's, there's only a few kinds of people. You'll have knowledge gatherers, by example. This is a kind of person. You can put this in education. They're going to get a higher degree and another degree. They're going to take classes and seminars and read more books with the hope that someday they will have the knowledge to be prepared. And then there's another kind of people that go, I'm ready. Now, I'm ready now. Keep your books. I'm ready. One guy works in the business. One guy owns the business. That's the way it is, though. There's not a whole lot of room anywhere else. You're going to have the Bezos and the Zuckerfords and the Elon Musk that stop college. You go, it's enough. I've got enough. I'm ready. And you're going to have the other people that are working for those guys that have PhDs and are working on second PhDs. They're constantly trying to gather knowledge, hoping that someday they'll be ready. That's okay. Nobody's wrong here. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just sharing that when it comes to human psychology, there's only a couple of ways you can go. You can continue to get ready or you can step forward and say, I've arrived. I'm ready. John is in the first one right now. He is in the face of he's still gathering. Still, you know, maybe another pound, maybe three more pounds, maybe a couple more sprints. Maybe he's gathering. That's okay. It's a natural part of the process. I say this because I do feel that you guys are a little bit too hard on John. I don't like John. John doesn't like me. That doesn't mean we don't treat him fair. And to come out and make believe that John Jones is scared. I mean, you guys, in all fairness, but you remember when people did this to him with Reyes? They wanted to fight Reyes a couple times, uh, second time. Said he's scared of Reyes. He's scared to fight Reyes. He just fought Reyes. I mean, do you, see, do you see the problem with that statement? Because the word scared means something different to other people. John is a human being. Sure, I'm sure he's been happy at times. I'm sure he's sad at times. I'm sure he's high on life. I'm sure he's been depressed on days. He, it's called being a human being. He has every emotion. And yes, fear and scared is one of it. That's not what's stopping this. The competitor has left town. The competitor believes he still needs to gather and gain knowledge, information, maybe a couple of pounds in his case. But eventually that old dog's going to come back. The same guy that took on Khabib in the media because it meant something to him because he thought it was his. That guy's going to come home. If I was to predict for you, I do believe that John's next match, I do not believe the opportunity goes up in smoke. The conversation is going to remain the same, though. The back and forth will remain the same. The opportunity is not gone. 
So the only thing we need, John, we just need John to come back. And John's gone. John's gone. The John that stepped in and fought Shogun is gone. He's left. He's got to come home. And when he does, I do believe that it will be right for a championship fight. When he feels he's ready, I predict for you that opportunity is still going to be there. Conversation is going to be the same, but the opportunity is going to be there, and so are we. So stand by. Don't, don't dismiss John just yet. Let's move on from John Jones and look towards this weekend's main event between Kevin Holland and Marvin Vittori. Kevin Holland, Marvin Vittori, you know, take a minute, guys, and ask yourself a question. Is Kevin Holland making the right choice in this regard, coming back this quickly, not having time to have worked on his skills, which were exposed, and doing it at 185 pounds, a weight class that he verbally left? Now, I bring that to you because once you say something, it has power. When Kevin Holland said, these guys are too big for me, that now becomes a reality where you can't just go, uh, I, I, I take it back, they're not too big, right? I mean, it's just something Kevin's going to have to deal with. I'm just asking you the question because it's a very cool move that Kevin's doing this. It's very on brand. In all fairness, Vittori gets credit too. I mean, Vittori's taking a new opponent on, on short notice. But focus on Holland just for a moment. And when I say he got exposed, that sounds like tough rhetoric, but in fairness, he did get exposed, and not just to us and to his opponents that can now attempt to mimic a blueprint that was effective, but to himself. He now sees where his problems are. And I will tell you one thing about Holland that I really firmly believe, which is mentally he can make a big physical difference. And I'm not the guy that's trying to sell you a book of self-help on Amazon and tells you that the mind controls everything. That's a bunch of crap. In Kevin Holland's instance, though, the reason I will make that argument is because he cooperated greatly with Brunson. Brunson had an idea and initiated a takedown, and partway through the defense mechanisms... Holland decided, hey, that's a good idea. Let's take it to the ground. He cooperated, thinking he could find a submission or thinking that he could do more damage on the ground. I share that with you because this blueprint we're talking about on Holland, Holland could have torn that thing up himself. I don't know what his mindset is, but if he has the right mindset, which is to look back and say, you know what, it's really hard and really rare to win a fight from your back. I need to focus on position. He can avoid those positions more than your eyes might have shown you. Your eyes would have told you that Derek's taking him down at will. That, that isn't what happened. Brunson did a good job with the setups. Brunson did a good job with the entries. He did a good job of getting position, but then Holland cooperated. I've got to keep using that word because you really have to understand that Kevin Holland is not as easy to take down as it appeared. He agreed with his opponent that, yes, let's take this to the ground. More action can happen here. I bring that to you because I'm not as concerned about that for Holland, about the giving up a position and the losing of rounds by Holland. I believe that was a one-night mistake that he's going to look back on and be very grateful as long as he takes the correct takeaways, which are the ones that I'm stating. Now it comes down to the other obstacle, which is he said 85-pounders are too big. I want to go to 170. Did he, even in the interim, even in the very short period of time, begin to change his lifestyle? Did he change his diet? 
Did he begin to do different exercises to take some weight off? And now he's got to stop all of that and try to get back. Am I likely making too much of the weight? No, no, I am not. I am spot on with this. Because Holland has put out there into the world, which means it's in his world, in his head, that 85 pounders are too big. I will also share with you the only place that Holland is going to feel size and the only place that size matters in a fight is with the grappling. It does not matter with the striking. Punches might be a little harder, but they come out a little slower. It's a, it's a very fair trade. It's, it, it's a wash there. But if you get somebody on top of you, boy, Kevin Holland's really going to feel that size. And Vittori will surprise you. I want you guys to keep, really keep your eye on, on Marvin. Marvin will surprise you. Not just angry Marvin that's so damn entertaining, but Mar Marvin has skills. And I think that Marvin possibly showed that best in his last fight, guys, because don't forget, that was his entry into the five-round club. And he entered the five-round club on short notice. That's the real key that you have to make sure that you shine up Marvin Vittori's wheels with. He took that fight on short notice, stepped in, and went the extra 10 minutes, which represents another 80%. He essentially did two fights in one night. Very incredible thing. Very rare club that he's in. Very uh, tough test that he passed. And Vittori's only going to be more ready, but the one thing with Vittori's skills, man, he'll hurt you with the hands. Don't buy into this whole Marvin Vittori's got to grapple you. It's not true. Marvin Vittori could avoid grappling all night, only go with the hands. And get great results. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. I'm talking about the hands. I'm talking about the stand-up fight. I'm talking about the kicks. I'm talking about the knees, the elbow. I'm talking about the stand-up portion of it. But I don't know where Vittori's strengths are. I don't even know how I would label him. I think you guys label that he's very good with positions, very good top fighter. I'm sharing that that is a, a short-minded view. If you watch more of the body work of Marvin Vittori, the, he's, he's just a fighter. I mean, he's a brawler. He's going to bring anger. He's going to bring emotion. Just going to make him meaner. He wants mean moves. Everything he does, he's got bad intentions. He wants to hurt you. He'll kick you in the leg, hope that your nose breaks. I mean, he's just got bad intentions. Holland's a little bit more thought out. Holland's a little bit more uh, methodical. Holland had a very bad strategy against Derek Brunson, and I don't want to take away from Brunson. Brunson had an overwhelming wrestling game, an overwhelming strategy. And Brunson, who's been in main events before, also understood time and space a little bit better. I want to give Brunson the credit. But Brunson's doing just fine. He got his hand raised. We got to worry about the guy that was wounded, which was Kevin Holland. What's going to be different? What changes are going to be different? What did he learn? Because Vittori very much is one of those fights, particularly with the setting of this fight. A, B, C. He is going to have eyeballs like he has never had before. And there's no telling. If Holland likes being the annoying guy that talks nonstop, he might come out and just do that again and just stick it in front of the world's eyes. I don't know. Shove it up everybody's ass. I don't know Holland well enough. He might do that. I think he was probably going to make some changes, including that. They call it uh, Holland wanted to entertain you all. I don't think he wanted to annoy any of you. So he's likely to listen to that. But you see where there's questions here. And Holland can do a very good job keeping space on his feet. He has a sidekick. He will telegraph it. He will turn sideways. If you watch three, four of his fights, you're going to know when it's coming. But then he's going to throw those long leg kick you right in the breadbasket. It's a very effective tool to keep a guy at bay, not to mention knock the wind out of him. And Holland will swarm. Holland's a bit of a brawler himself, right? 
You got angry Marvin and, and charismatic Colin, man, they're the same guy. They both are dirty, nasty cage fighters. This is a brawl. Don't make any mistake about that. Kevin Holland doesn't get known as that because he, he's fun and playful. He is in there. You go watch some of those series, even that Holland had against Derek Brunson on the feet when he swarmed him. But those are street fighter moves. One of those punches he was throwing, those are street fighter punches. Those were not trained and technical and precise. This is going to be a brawl. That I'm going to share with you. I'm going to encourage you to throw both of their last fights out. I think that even the praise that you would give Vittori, I think that you're missing where the praise should go, which is the heart and grit and determination of a true competitor who stepped in on short notice, who is being rewarded for that with a main event on ABC, taking on a guy who appears to be in a little bit of a limbo internally, appears to have a little bit of internal turmoil. I'm talking about Holland here. In terms of what weight class should he go? But we know what weight class this is. We now need to adopt and adapt the styles around it, which starts with Kevin Holland not cooperating. And speaking of Vittori, how about this? I want you guys to start calling Marvin Vittori angry Marvin Vittori. I want that to be his new nickname. And we can make that stick. Look, one thing with nicknames, okay, your parents give you your name. Nicknames are supposed to be given by somebody else that isn't your parents. It could be a family member. It could be a brother or sister. It generally will come from classmates. Generally, you don't get a nickname, but if you get a nickname, it will come from classmates. Nicknames don't come from you. You don't go, hey, my name is Tony. Call me Hawk. Like, you don't do that. Somebody else has to do that. So I only bring that to you because in the world of fighting, people always want to give themselves nicknames, which is just weird. It's just a weird thing, and that isn't how nicknames work. And so when I bring to you Angry Marvin, we need to name Marvin Angry Marvin because that's what we want. Angry Marvin Vittori is one of the more interesting characters in all of MMA. Marvin Vittori, you know, take it or leave it. Angry Marvin, oh, must-see. This guy's must-see TV. We got to name him that. And I, I'm responsible for one nickname. Short Fuse Ed Herman. I'm responsible. Chris Lieben got the credit. Here's what happened. We're all training together. And Ed Herman and Chris Lieben, they were young guys at the time. 21, 22 years old. So they were into the, the night scene. They were going out to the clubs together and stumbling home at 2.30 in the morning. And Lieben was telling me a story of how angry Ed can get. He goes, hey, he can get pissed off, you know, particularly when he's drinking. He's got a short fuse. You got to be careful what you say to him. So I was promoting a small local show, and I was also in charge of the programs. So when I made the programs, before I sent it all to the print shop and had them made and picked them up, I put Ed Short Fuse Herman. I named him Short Fuse. I put it right in the program, put it out, distributed it to all the people. So when Ed gets it, now he sees what his nickname is. He's Short Fuse. But that's how you get a real nickname. That's a great nickname for Ed. But that's how you get an appropriate nickname if somebody else gives it to you. Now, I don't get I don't get credited for that because I admitted where I took it. I took this from a comment that Chris Lieben made. But Chris Lieben was saying he has a short fuse, not he is a short fuse. I should have got the credit, but I didn't get the credit. Ed Herman tells people that Chris Lieben named him that. A little bit of a play on words. I do want Angry Marvin. I want Angry Marvin. 
And I think right now he's the Italian stallion or he's the Italian dream or he's the Italian bully. He's something to do with that. I don't want that. I want you guys to agree with me. And I agree, the Italian bully or the account, whatever he is, I agree where it sounds a little bit cooler. But play with me for a minute here. Angry Marvin rolls right off the tongue. I mean, I even consider pissed off Marvin. But you have to understand that Bruce Buffer is going to read that name to the world on ESPN. So you got you to gotta operate a little bit more. And pissed off Marvin doesn't roll off the tongue like angry Marvin. Angry Marvin is what we want. Angry Marvin is who he is. Start calling him that. RDA has finally been called out. I mean, I've got to tell you guys, you want to go look at somebody who has had the hardest draw in all of MMA, the hardest schedule, the hardest, it's RDA. And by the way, RDA is always offering for anybody that can't find an opponent. I mean, RDA was just talking about uh, Islam Makhlchev a week ago as a way of getting to Khabib. But these are the kind of guys he wants. The harder, the better for RDA. He's wired different. But RDA just got called out, which also represents, at least for me, the first time I've ever heard RDA get called out, and it was by Dan Hooker. I am so confident that that fight will happen just because RDA never gets called out. I already know the answer. It's Obviously, it's yes, right? A guy that wants Islam and, and could be, yes, he's, yes, he will take on Dan Hooker. And we owe Dan Hooker. We all as a community owe Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker, between going out to Fight Island, I'm talking about for the Chandler fight, and returning home 56 days alone. 56 days. Part of which he had to deal with the depression and the post-fight blues and all these different things that you have to deal with. And I'm just sharing with you, two months away, he made a commitment. Hooker did something for our entertainment we owe Hooker. Can we all agree on that? We owe him something. And, oh, and if, by the way, what he wants is to get locked in a cage with the former champion of the world, I mean, we got to give it to him, right? We really got to give it to him. And Hooker was talking about who I'd really like to fight is Justin Gaethje. I'm just getting the sense that Gaethje is going to try to hold out or hold on for something else. And, you know, we were armed last week with that Gaethje might be given his choice of being a backup fighter between both Connor Poirier and Chandler Oliveira. That Gaethje can say which one he wants to wait for. So I think that Hooker's senses are right. I think that Hooker's senses are right. I think that that call out makes a lot of sense. It does leave you with what does Islam do? And by the way, I can answer the Islam question if I had an answer to. Kevin Lee. Where does Kevin Lee fit into this? Is extremely relevant when you have Islam Makhlchev, who Kevin Lee was trying, pre-ACL injury, trying to fly to Russia to fight. Islam is no better today or more feared today than he was then. And Kevin Lee knew it. He just didn't feel it and was going to go to his hometown to fight him. Now, Islam is more well-known. I'm just sharing with you if Kevin was willing to do it, not to mention in enemy territory, he's willing to do it now. Okay, So where, where does Kevin Lee fit in all this? Where is Kevin at with his knee injury? And I've spoken to Kevin, but not since December. I mean, it feels like I spoke to him yesterday. If I look back, it's been about three months, not three days. And he was healing. He was healing real nicely. Wants to get back, wants to compete. I was talking to him specifically about Submission Underground, which he wants to do, but he had shared with me the leg's just now better. I'm just now back to the gym, but I'm not full speed. 
I'm not running sparring. I'm not doing. I'm getting good workouts. Now that was three months ago. So allow me to follow up with Kevin Lee, and that would possibly answer our question. But when you start to get some uh, a little bit of direction on RDA Hooker, it does leave Islam, who thought he was going to be fighting RDA. What do you do with Islam? Well, we can find that out, and I'll I'll tell you. Kevin Lee will take that fight. So let's see where everything goes. But 55 getting a lot of attention, and these guys deserve it. These guys are speaking up, and they're speaking out. I mean, adversely, I'll look at heavyweight. You have absolutely no heavyweights calling out Francis Ngannou, which is just disgusting to me. It's disgusting. Even Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades has decided, I don't have the right to call out Ngannou because I lost to Derek. Man, there's no rules, Curtis. You already did what nobody else wants to do twice. You go right ahead and speak up. And whether you get it or not, I mean, I'm just sharing with you to watch the heavyweights, the biggest, baddest guys in the world. What a, what a group of sissies. We get led to believe that John Jones is going to have that fight. So you just all sit back and take it. Oh, it's already been decided. I, I heard that somewhere. That was at a press conference. You're just going to sit there and take that. You should have been fighting for it. Even if, whether John would have got it or not, you should be speaking up and trying to get it. So now that John has positioned himself out of it, you still haven't spoke up. None of you. And what are you worried about? Worried you're going to get it? That's the only thing you would have to fear. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. That's the only thing that you would have to fear. And you apparently fear Francis. If you think that you're not going to get it, all the more reason. You're going to be heard when you're the only one doing it. It's not a Connor situation. Where everybody's calling him out because red panty night's real. That's not what this is at all. You're not calling out Francis because you don't want to fight Francis. Chris Cyborg has had to live through this for or through her whole career. Big compliment to Cyborg, but we also kind of laid off the competition. And go, well, you know, that could be sensitive. You start calling out a division. I think the heavyweights have been around long enough that they can take it. And to take it is the cold hard truth. None of you have called for Francis because you... You don't want him. You're scared of him. There is no better time to start positioning yourself than right now when things are really up in the air. And yes, we could break it down to more logical that between Stipe and John and, and Derek Lewis, those are probably, and we'll figure out the order later, going to be Francis's 2021. Sure. But again, if you concede to that, then you're conceding to let somebody else run your career. Where's the fight? Where's the battle? Where's the effort? Where's the gamesmanship? Where's the strategy? I, sometimes I feel like these fighters go brain dead. All of the things that you learn through the hard work and the disciplines that involved in this sport, as soon as you're not in the cage doing the sport, you go brain dead. What did this sport teach you? It taught you to overcome. It taught you to try. It taught you to take a risk. It taught you to strategize. You don't want to talk about your game plans, goal setting, focus, dedication, but if you're not doing it, you go brain dead. Why would those same principles, those same buzzwords I just used, not apply to other things in life? How would you not take that same goal-setting strategy? How would you not take that and come up with a plan to go after Francis and start to align yourself, particularly when you understand that the land landscape, look, if there's 10 voices saying the same thing, to be the loudest one becomes challenging. It becomes tricky. Fine, if that's the battle, you got to figure out how to do it. But... When you're in a spot and nobody wants to do that, nobody's calling them out, you will be heard. You will stand out. And I'll personalize this real fast, but when I started calling out Anderson Silva, I was laughed at. 
I was laughed at, and it finally made it all the way to Dana White, who referred to me as Kale Sonnen. He didn't even know my name. I'm just bringing that to you because nobody's fought Anderson more times than me. Nobody's fought him more than twice. Nobody's more corrected to his career than me. I started out by getting laughed at. I wasn't a main card fighter. I wasn't a co-main. I wasn't a main event. I wasn't any of these things, but I didn't let those rules apply. Those are somebody else's rules. Give a goddamn about that. I'll come off the bench. I'll come from first fight of the night to the main event. There's nothing written down anywhere that says you can't do that. There's just beliefs. It's just not generally done. It's just not usually how it works. Be the exception. Be the smartest guy in the room. Be the only guy in the room. But you're not. And you're not quite as dumb as I make you guys out to be. You're not. You are ever bit as cowardly as I make you out to be. There's a piece of this where you just haven't thunk of it. There's a larger piece that you don't want to do it. You don't want to fight Francis Ngannou. Now, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about Ben Askren and Jake Paul. So let's end today's show with this. Very interesting when you're watching any level of promotion. It could be a baseball game. It could, but when you're able to identify where the entertainment begins and the truth starts, give you a great example, okay? Great example that I can personalize, but Stipe versus Daniel Cormier, part one. And this is the big champ-champ match. You know, if you guys will remember, but Daniel was the light heavyweight champion. Stipe is the heavyweight champion. Daniel's moving up. Oh, by the way, the belief going into this fight is that Daniel's just not going to be big enough. But when they got to the scale, Daniel weighed in six pounds more than Stipe. So the smaller guy who many people were betting against because they just believed it wouldn't be big enough turned out to be bigger, killed the story in its tracks, but only one day before the fight. Everything narrative-wise on that fight changed from the weigh-ins to the time that they very, uh, walked out. But I'll tell you one thing that happened with me, and I was Stipe. Even before the weigh-ins, I was Stipe, and I think I was largely of that mind. Daniel's great fight. He's just in the wrong weight class. Stipe. Daniel did an open workout. After the workout, Daniel grabs the microphone. And Daniel says, guys, I'm going to do you a favor by giving you a tip. Go bet on me. And Daniel was a two and a half to one underdog. But here's what Daniel said. He said, if you haven't followed my career, I have never lost to a heavyweight. As a matter of fact, I've never even lost a round when I was at heavyweight. As a matter of fact, I never even lost a wrestling match as a heavyweight. And I remember when Daniel said it, because I had followed his whole career, but it did happen too fast, and I didn't think about it in those terms. I watched him wrestle in heavyweight. I watched him beat Steve Mako one nothing by example, at heavyweight in wrestling. It is true, when he came through the Grand Prix of Strike Force as the number nine seed and wins the whole thing, not only did he not lose a fight, he did not lose a round. That's true. Happened in front of me. Didn't take the time to think about it. And my entire opinion changed. I mean, this was a long buildup, if you guys remember Cormier versus Stipe. They did the ultimate fighter. This was a tremendously long, too long, quite frankly, of a buildup. The entire way, until Daniel made that statement, I was Stipe. As soon as Daniel, I go, my goodness, the truth. So Ben Askren just did some interview on Jake Paul. And Ben Askren has been having a level of fun with Paul. Again, that's the entertainment. Where's the truth? Where's the entertainment? With Paul, it's all entertainment. It's all he had. He just has a box before. 
right? It doesn't have any boxing matches. What do you do? Askren came out and said, and he was talking about Paul's lack of experience. The two, what do you call them, what Paul did? You call those exhibitions, smokers, what do you call it? That wasn't boxing, but it was under boxing rules. So am I wrong? Do we call it boxing? Fine, let's call it boxing. Askren said, look, those guys he fought are so terribly bad at boxing, it's hard to get a fair read on this guy. And Askren also said, what people look for in fighters is how hard they can get hit show their toughness and their heart by pushing through it. And Askren said he's just never been hit hard. He just went against guys that were too bad at boxing. They could never hit him. Well, there was a lot of truth in that. Is it enough to make Askren right? Like it was enough to make Daniel right? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to say, wait and see. That isn't the point I'm trying to get. But now we finally got some truth. That's true. We have not seen adversity. Ben is right. What fighters respect, get respected for is not how hard you can hit. It's how hard can you take a hit. It's not how many guys did you stop. It's how many guys were you losing to and you came back and stopped. That's where it really does get interesting. I'll tell you what, if you're ever at a live fight, you probably believe that the finish is the most exciting thing. That is the narrative that we're all taught to believe. Oh my God, there was a finish. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's something. It is not the biggest spot. The biggest spot is when a guy is about to get finished and comes back to life, scrambles up and gets back to his feet right as he's about to get TKO. That is when you will hear the crowd react in ways you will never hear the crowd react, which is speaking to the point of Ben Askren. There's nothing yet to respect. Is that because Paul's just so goddamn good? Nobody could hit him? Well, we don't know. That's between these guys. But Askren's making a very fair point from an argument of truth, which is his competition was so bad and we've seen so little of. We have no reason to believe that. Fill in the blank. He can hold up. He can withstand. He can come back. Talking about Paul. He can dig deep. He can deal with talking about Paul. We know Askren can wrestle with one eye shut, fight with one eye shut. We've seen it. We know Askren can go on with a broken nose. We've seen it. We know Askren can go on with one eye shot and a broken nose because we've seen it. These are questions and these are things that you can start to default back to and bank on and know that he's a legitimate and tough fighter. Now, is it going to turn out that Paul has none of those things just because he's so damn good? I don't know if there's anything that I just stated that you could say about Engano. Engano never showed any adversity. Well, because he was so damn good, he didn't have any adversity. Engano didn't have to do X, Y, and Z. Just by example, use a name that you know, but he didn't do it because not because he didn't have the skill. He was so good, he never needed to use it. Right? Sometimes you got to be really tough, and you got to be really tough more often if you're not as good. If you're really good, you're not going to need toughness as much. It's just not going to come down to that. Your skills are going to overwhelm. You will generally only need one of the two. It's very rare in life that you ever find an athlete that's both. A Jordan Burroughs type, who's the best in the room and the toughest. How do you want to do this? Because I'm ready. I mean, it's, it's very rare. You're the most skilled guy. You can win a gold medal. You're the toughest guy. You can win a gold medal. And I bring that to you because I don't think that Paul is a gold medalist. In making, I do not believe he is the best or the toughest. I have definitely not seen his toughness because he hasn't needed to, I will concede. But I also haven't seen overwhelming skill. I haven't seen a whole lot of skill at all. And I can tell he's working hard. I'm seeing enough with his feints. I can also tell, and you guys never like it when I say this, but it's true. The Paul brothers are legit tough guys. I know that bothers you. They are. They are. 
that nerdiness you see and through what they used for entertainment, that was the act. The boxing part's not the act. And some of you guys haven't caught up to that yet. I know that frustrates you. You want to think these guys are nerds. I'm sharing with you. That was the act. That was the performance. They're, they're tough guys. Both of them are tough guys. When you're fighting Askren, it's going to take more than a tough guy, than a local neighborhood tough guy, than more a tough guy that you had junior year in high school. It's, it's another deal when you're talking about trained. It's, it's a whole nether conversation. I think that Ben, much like Daniel, is now starting to touch on truth. And this isn't changing my mind like I had to do with Daniel. It's reinforcing what I've always believed to be true, which is there's not going to be a whole lot to see here. You're going to see a world-class competitor taking on a guy that's working hard at boxing. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review like our friend Ryan O'Neill, who says, Uncle Chael, you are still undefeated in podcast two. Well, thank you, Ryan. And thank you all for listening. We're going to be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.